Welcome to The Source from the ATA, conversations about telehealth and virtual care from the thought leaders, experts, and visionaries who are working to change the way the world thinks about healthcare. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and our guest today is Mauricio Servent. Mauricio is the Executive Vice President of Care Delivery in Neurology and Psychiatry at SOC Telemed. Mauricio joined SOC in 2017 after a long career as a forward-thinking hospital executive, playing both financial and strategic roles as CFO and CEO in organizations like the FIU Healthcare Network and HCA. He's now brought that wealth of operational and leadership experience to bear for his clients at SOC. Today, Mauricio and I will talk about all the ways that teleneurology and telepsychiatry solutions can benefit hospitals and health systems of all sizes, and how the real winner is the patient. Mauricio, thanks so much for being with us today on The Source. Thank you for having me, Greg. I've been uh, excited to have this conversation with you, Mauricio, because uh, your, your background is uh, so unusual from the people that I've spoken with before in the in the sense that you've actually started in the hospital space and uh, had an opportunity to deal with some of the some of the staffing and some of the revenue issues uh, head on that that you're dealing with now from a telemedicine perspective. And uh, I wonder if we could start off before we dive into the work that you're doing by just sharing a couple of mileposts from your career that pointed you in this direction. Sure, Greg, not a problem. So my background is I, you know, I really spent the last 25 years, uh, almost 26 years in healthcare, moved into first uh, the hospital space and worked for predominantly through my hospital years of 16 and a half years I spent on the hospital side, predominantly with uh, HCA healthcare at one of the uh, one of the hospitals um, in Miami started out as a chief financial officer, then moved into the chief executive officer role. Um, and it was there that um, as a chief financial officer, I got my exposure to teleneurology uh, um, and telemedicine as, as a whole. And it was at a time when it was just coming into, into play more from a telestroke perspective. This was back in around, I'd say, 2005 uh, timeframe, 2006. And um, and actually, things just kind of grew from there uh, to when I took my post into as a chief executive officer using the space of telemedicine and teleneurology and helping uh, me grow our neural service line along with our cardiovascular service line. Um, and then from there, uh, leaving the hospital space, went into more of the traditional uh, physician space and multi-physician uh, specialty group practice. Uh, and doing that for uh, a number of years before I finally got uh, an opportunity to actually go into the telemedicine space itself. And uh, uniquely enough, it was uh, to become the CEO at the teleneurology company that I utilized when I was uh, with HCA um, and had the opportunity to grow that company and now merged into SOC Telemed. And I've been on the telemedicine side of things for the last six and a half years. You know, I think it may be interesting, Mauricio, as you think back, obviously the landscape has changed significantly since you first started using uh, telehealth as a part of your solution. What was it that originally brought it to the fore for you? What was it that drove the interest uh, you know, way back in the day when you first started thinking about telehealth as a complement to, you know, inpatient uh, solutions? 
So I will have to say it was it was really driven by um, initially the conversation with one of our main uh, vascular neurologists. Uh, we were having a discussion about how we could improve stroke care in the emergency room, uh, and he had expressed an interest in that he had heard that there was you know a new venture of going into utilizing a camera system uh, to be able to visualize patients um, and help get to them quicker. And so you know it was a minimal investment. We decided to take a look at it. And right off the bat, it was great. The ER docs loved it, that they were able to connect quickly and didn't have to worry about talking to just somebody on the phone and waiting for uh, for the physician to come in if they really thought it was a, a true emergency that needed uh, immediate response. And obviously, a neurologist loved it because he's able to be at home, get onto the video camera, visualize a patient, and actually see as opposed to depending on what he was being told either by the ER physicians and or the nurses. Uh, so it was a hit right away. And we were able to just kind of expand it into going from him actually being on the phone with the ER physician and visualizing the patient by camera to actually going to a true audio video system uh, that helped. Um, and I thought that that was fantastic of how great it was that you know, we were able to get in from a stroke perspective that we were able to make these changes and get to provide care quicker. And for our listeners who may not be as familiar with the neurology space, what is it about stroke that makes um, having the ability to do video consult so important? Well, again, it's really not so much the video concept um, as more to getting to the patient as quickly as you can. Uh, from mm -hmm. a, on a stroke standpoint, uh, every patient that is having a stroke has the potential losing you know, almost 2 million brain cells a minute. Um, and so, you know, uh, there is the old adage that just talks about time is brain. So the quicker you can get to the evaluation of the patient, the quicker you can get to potentially thrombolytics if they're eligible for it. And if the patient accepts it, the quicker you have to a positive result uh, that can happen for that patient. And if it's, you know, thrombolytics aren't an option, uh, then there is still a potential for uh, doing endovascular procedures and getting that patient to the right to the right hospital that can do those procedures. So again, you're having a patient try to resume normalcy and not having any any kind of disabling deficits, which is what we're always trying to do. It sounds pretty amazing, especially back in the day to provide that kind of capability. Um, and I guess I'm curious because I know now you are responsible both for neurology, teleneurology and telepsychiatry. Tell me a little bit about telepsychiatry and what does that, what are the implications for hospitals and health systems in terms of the ability to provide that capability? Sure. So specifically, and again, I can, I can give you personal experiences of, you know, having been when I was the chief financial officer at the hospital and had our case management and social workers reporting up up through uh, to me with regards to that. Uh, so as, as has, you know, very well written in the space, you know, mental health has always been an issue. Uh, from a psychiatry perspective, you know, not every hospital, every hospital takes emergency cases and that's, you know, all falling under the federal, federal and TALA rules. But from that standpoint, not everybody, there's always ways around of being able to deal with certain aspects of, of care and not having the appropriate providers. And though hospitals may have psychiatrists, psychologists on staff, a lot of them focus uh, being able to do more kind of work on the inpatient side. And it's more troubling, uh, you know, really getting an adequate supply of psychiatrists to provide emergency care, unless you have an inpatient uh, psych unit. And not every hospital has inpatient psych units. So um, it's, it's very much a hit or miss from that standpoint. So 
what the what I see as the benefit and of having that telepsychiatry presence is that for any type of hospital, whether you're a rural, you're a small hospital, a micro hospital, up to you know a major 500 bed, 600 bed facility in an urban setting, that if you have a lack of resources from a psychiatrist um, and you're having these patients that are coming to you, and they could be easily as you know patients being dropped off by the police because you know they were a patient could have been drunk but it was making threat, you know, death threats against folks or um, had, was, is high on, medic, you know, on medications and needs to come down and they're threatening suicide. So there's all sorts of circumstances where they can control to just normal circumstances where, where uh, patients really need mental health help and direction outside of just the emergency, really on an outpatient basis are really getting to the services that they need to. But that first step is coming into the emergency room and being able to be taken care of. So the fact that that you don't have the resources and that simply through having a video cart and audio capability that you can have a physician uh, to you fairly quickly in comparison to sometimes you're waiting three, four, six, eight, 12 hours or having patients just boarding there to find another location and you know having having a specialist you can go to because again don't forget that ER physicians are 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 fantastic physicians uh, but they become the jack of all trades and that's where they need the specialty help of the psychiatrist and that's what I see as the true benefit of having telepsychiatry of being able to get that specialist uh, to really help out in all types of situations how common is it with uh, you know acute care scenarios where people are coming into the emergency room that there is uh, that there's benefit to having uh, you know access to a psychiatrist? I will I will say just in in looking at what the what we're experiencing here at SOC, you know we've traditionally had been a, a very heavy on the emergency psychiatry end and doing uh, work also with uh, consult and liaison services on the inpatient unit, meaning that those are patients that have a primarily medical condition along with a psych diagnosis. And that those were areas of our forte. And I would say in the last six to eight months, we have seen a tremendous shift where not only do we still have facilities coming to us for help because their docs are burning out just with the increase of uh, mental health needs of their patients that are coming in just in the emergency room, but they're also being overwhelmed with patients on the outpatient side, and therefore that's limiting them to being able to do work on the inpatient unit in the behavioral health unit. Mm-hmm. So we're having a number of hospitals that have inpatient behavioral health units come to us and helping, asking us for help, whether it's to cover in the evenings, to cover you know uh, on the weekends, to cover sometimes during the daytime, help split with them you know one week on, one week off, with the with their physician, so there's been a big change. A lot of it, again, I, I believe, due to what we've seen with the pandemic, and uh, you know, just the the containment that's happened with folks just being more at home and and really encountering more mental health uh, issues from that perspective. Mm-hmm. The growth that we've seen in these months, from a volume perspective, and the need, you know, the need's always been there, but we've just seen the need grow tremendously, and it's expected to continue to grow. So the fact that there's outlets that that hospitals can go to and allowing and, you know, to helping these patients get to uh, really their continued treatment, whether it's just simply medications or uh, going through into therapy on a continual basis for a period of time, uh, I think is a, is a great thing. Absolutely. And I, you know, you, you touched on one of the issues. I think I read that uh, the average emergency room visit uh, can last four hours, but frequently when there are behavioral health issues, they can 
essentially be forced to, as you said, to board uh, a patient for, you know, sometimes 24 hours. You talked about one of the implications of that being, you know, contributing to burnout from staff in terms of uh, having to address issues that they're not necessarily uh, prepared to address. What are some of the other implications of that for the hospital uh, of having to uh, assume that burden? Well, again, one of the big burdens is, as I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, most hospitals will, you know, are required to handle from the emergency. And I'm talking about acute care hospitals, uh, those emergency patients. Uh, But as I mentioned, not everybody has an inpatient unit. So when you don't, like for personal experiences, my uh, prior hospital uh, throughout my tenure, it wasn't until um, I was um, exiting from the hospital that we actually had opened up our inpatient behavioral health unit. Uh, but at the time, we didn't have one. So uh, generally, the Monday to Thursday, a little rocky in trying to get patients to the, you know, to the right situation, being able to transfer them out. But when it came to the weekend, that's where we saw the, you know, the, the definitive problem. Because again, most of these treatment facilities in the area uh, did not have the same resources for the weekend that they did as far as mm. intake standpoint during the week. So, you know, imagine that you have all of the hospitals uh, you know, trying to send the same number of patients that they do on a Monday to Thursday in on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And you, instead of having maybe three or four intake folks, they only have one for the entire their entire hospital. So they're going to be right. overburdened. So that's where we would get stuck in that, you know, for example, in Florida, there's a requirement under the Baker Act that if you're a facility that doesn't have the inpatient unit, uh, makes it more difficult because you really need to have that patient out within 12 hours to an appropriate setting to make an evaluation of, you know, do they, that involuntary committal, does it continue or can it be overturned? And that's not a determination that a lot of times, you know, in the hospital folks feel comfortable in doing. So they're, you know, you're getting them to the right situation in order for that to happen. So imagine that you have a 12 hour time frame that you're required to by state statute. But at the same time, you can't find a placement in order for that to happen. So what do, what do you do? And that's a perfect area for telepsychiatry because you can bring in that telepsychiatrist, help you make the evaluation. And there are times that they'll help to dictate, hey, maybe it's a medication and we can you know, discharge the patient with in, um, a follow-up appointment from an outpatient perspective and in, in doing things that are needed on that, you know, following Monday, or maybe the patient does need to get admitted into an inpatient unit, or maybe they just need to be continue to be held. And although it's not not the appropriate thing for a non-psychiatric facility to be holding that patient, you at least have a psychiatrist that you can depend on that can continue to check on that patient and see, uh, are they, you know, are they changing throughout their stay? And are they getting to a point that maybe they will have improved and they uh, are able to get discharged and you can put them on certain medications and move them out into the process. So that's a great opportunity with regards to telepsych that a lot of times hospitals don't have because they don't have enough psychiatrists or the psychiatrists, uh, they really just can't get them to come into the emergency room. Sure. And it sounds like, so you talked about, you know, you, you painted a picture about, you know, one use case for using telehealth in in sort of the continuum of care for the hospital being a, a rural hospital or a smaller community hospital that may not have inpatient behavioral health capabilities. You've talked about, you know, situations where, you know, staffing at various points during the week, you know, nights and weekends are tricky, but you also introduce an important factor, which is that, you know, regulatory requirements uh, differ 
from state to state and, and locale to locale, it sounds like it would be really hard to sort of throw a one size fits all telehealth solution at this problem. And I guess I'm curious how how you address finding the right solution for the right client. So what's important to note is that we're not doing this on our own. The strength of, of any program, and that's in telemedicine across the board, uh, is going to be about collaboration and working together with with your client hospital. And that's why one of the important things is when I talk about SOC Telemed and, and the way we work with our client hospitals, we're partners and we're the telemedicine partner and we're a telemedicine partner solution. So we're, you know, if, in simple terms, we're looked at as a vendor, but to really make this work, we have to be collaborative and we have to work in a true partnership because the end result is getting the appropriate care to that patient. And we can't do it alone. Um, obviously, you know, we have the we have the availability of psychiatrists with that skill set to be able to provide that medical evaluation. The hospital has the nurses and the ER physicians to help with that patient that's there. But there's also knowledge uh, that if there are unique situations with regards to states or the county um, areas that are happening, all of those are vetted out before our implementation to make sure everybody's comfortable. And there are situations sometimes that we work closely with licensed clinical social workers uh, that are in the hospital and they take care of a certain portion and then they bring us in. And there are some states where the physician has control over having to do uh, the paperwork for involuntary uh, commitments. Um, And there's other states where it's not done. It's actually handled through a group that it has to be uh, a team at the at the hospital. So we work closely with them to m- make sure that everybody is understanding of what the process is. So it isn't a one size fits all. Uh, the one size fits all is having telepsychiatry available, but then it is uh, molded to each of the unique circumstances of each facility. Got it. And that that completely makes sense. Having that kind of ability to sort of consult and advise. And I guess I'm guessing that based on your experience, actually having been in the shoes of many of your clients uh, doesn't hurt any either. It always helps to to have a little bit of knowledge on the other side and know what it is to be uh, on the other on the, with the other shoe um, and knowing what's going on. So you you definitely uh, not that you empathize in general because it's you know obviously a patient that you're trying to help. But, you know, recognizing having sat on the hospital side and seeing, you know, what you go through from an operational standpoint and the impact that it can do, it, it, it helps me in, um, in my job function of working with our uh, partner hospitals along with, you know, internally with our physicians and our administrative staff and making sure that we get things done. You know, one of the things that I am am curious about, Mauricio, is that I know one of the obstacles to telehealth for many years has been essentially roadblocks to reimbursement for telehealth visits and being able to track revenue and so forth for hospitals has been really tricky. Can you tell us a little bit about how working with you uh, can make that a little easier for the hospital or the health system? Sure. There's a couple of ways. So one, um, the company invested a number of years ago in developing its own uh, platform that we utilize um, as far as from uh, principally from our documentation end, but it also has intake capabilities so that we can uh, absorb all the the consultations. Uh, We do the documentation, then we're able to capture information inclusive of uh, billing information, not only from the documentation side, but ICD-10s and that, so that we can code from a CPT perspective. 
and that platform allows us, um, it's something that we use day in and day out at all of our hospitals from our core services of teleneurology, telepsychiatry, and telecritical care. Uh, but in addition, we're able to work along with our partner hospitals that we can do hybrid programs so they can have their physicians on our platform. They can also utilize the platform exclusively and just have their physicians on it. Um, and so the same thing that we're able to do uh, from those aspects of having information available for billing are the same things that they're able to have from that standpoint. And we as a company set up a, a couple of years ago and have been through the past year uh, doing our own billing and collections. Right? We have a re our revenue cycle arm. And with that process, so uh, you know, we have our certified coders that come in and are reviewing the cases. And we have uh, internally billing committees and that that are meeting. So we're very proactive um, in doing that. Telehealth has a unique uh, unique requirements as far as from a, from a billing standpoint and what is reimbursable and not. And mm -hmm. certainly things have changed and evolved uh, during this pandemic time uh, through CMS. Um, and those uh, waivers continue through the end of this year. And, and um, hopefully there's going to be lots of continued uh, positive uh, past 2021 and, and uh, insurers as well as CMS continuing to see the value of telehealth and what it can do. Uh, and we've set ourselves up that we are able to do that billing and collections on the side and make sure that, one, we're able to get uh, the, the appropriate uh, reimbursements in and we remit those funds back to our uh, partner hospitals. And what we're, we're doing within that whole framework is ensuring that at the same time, we're meeting all of the regulatory requirements that are needed for telehealth and making sure from a compliance standpoint, we're meeting it. So we don't just take an easy route and say, here, here's our physician's billing rights and go ahead and, you know, you take on that assumption and that responsibility. We actually have the skin in the game of taking that responsibility and have invested uh, heavily in from a compliance standpoint so that we do it well. But a lot of it, again, comes to the, the fact that we're able to utilize um, our platform and have set it up in a way that not only services, again, our core services, but in, in tune allows uh, individual health systems and hospitals to use it in the delivery of the physician specialty. And it's not related just to our three core services. We have health systems that are doing infectious disease, cardiology, hospitalist work, um, intensivist work, um, and looking at you know other specialties and rolling it out, so it's really a, a unique unique opportunity that we bring again as a telemedicine partner solution. Absolutely, it's a lot different than uh, saying, "Okay, here's an app. Have your doctors loaded on their phone." Sure. Um. <laughs> yeah, which is which, again also great. It's just we're a little you know we're we're different in that you know from an acute care space, uh, we just do things uh, you know offer. The availability to do things a little different from being that acute care solution um, and, sure. and taking it from there into, you know, potentially patients at home in urgent cares and those types of things that we can work with them. You know, Mauricio, you alluded to this, um, but I want to, I want to close out our time today, just thinking a little bit about the future. You talked about the fact that, um, you know, we're, we're hoping to see some, you know, longer term changes in the way that insurers, uh, including CMS, uh, handle telehealth. Uh, and it certainly seems logical that we would. But as you look to the future, what are some of the things that you're excited about uh, in terms of changes you know, to the industry, to your own business, uh, to the way that you're connecting with hospitals as part of their continuum of care? So the thing that excites me the most about, you know, really looking into the future is that, you know, the only good thing that one can say that's come from this pandemic is the 
is the value of where telehealth is and how it really changed the ability to continue to provide care to patients virtually and and really make sure that that patients were getting what they needed, whether it was from a simple physician visit to, again, being able to, from an expanded role of being able to provide inpatient uh, care through you know platforms like ours, uh, as well as emergency services. And th- the fact that I continue to see how we're expanding, how we can help hospitals that are coming to us with need because they're looking at their physicians and they're burning and they're burning out and they don't want them to burn out. And, you know, the mm. physicians continue to want to be committed to providing that care for their patients. Uh, but again, you know, they're human beings that need some time off as well. And the fact that we can do these things and help in bridging the gap, because it's important, you know, when you look at the hospital, it's great when you're in the hospital and you're able to get that service. But once you're done and you're out, you still need care. Uh, so how is that going right. to how is that going to be delivered? And the fact that we if we can make lives easier for those docs who are really vital at providing the outpatient care and we can help them on the inpatient side and on the emergency side is a great win for the patients. And they still get great care. Hospitals are able to provide the care that needs to be, um, you know, that's their charter and their mission. And at the same time, you know, you, we're, we're saving uh, those physicians to be able to continue to do that work with their patients on an outpatient perspective. So it's exciting to see that from uh, that continued growth uh, to expanding it into uh, missions of hospitals, integrating more within the post-acute marketplace, um, as well as uh, you know the continued expansion of uh, integrated delivery networks. So those are exciting things for me from that perspective. And as you touched on, Greg, you know, the insurance standpoint, long we've, we've talked about um, as to, you know, tele, telemedicine helps deliver care just as well as in person. It is, a, it is obviously different to be somebody virtually versus that you're physically there and can touch the per- sure. patient. But, you know, when you're, the, when you're either a rural hospital or even an urban hospital and don't have the, the specialist coverage that, that you really need, and to be able to have it in a format that can provide, even if it's only 90% of what normally a boots on the ground could perform, is a fantastic thing for that patient. And it's a great thing for the hospital. So the fact that it's been viewed now by the insurance industry, along with predominantly CMS, and doing mm-hmm. recognitions is a great opportunity. I think is, is just going to be fantastic for, for patients going forward and uh, yeah. taking care. And at the end of the day, you know, that's what it's all about, right? Getting the getting the patients the right care uh, through the right medium. And it's exciting to see how far we've come and some of the work that you're doing and uh, looking to for the future. Um, Mauricio, we are so grateful for you spending this time with us today on The Source. For those of our listeners who are interested in learning more about SOC Telemed and Mauricio, we're going to have links and contact information in our show notes. Uh, so don't feel that you have to write all this down right, right away. You'll be able to come back to it uh, when you get out of your car after your commute. Mauricio, thanks so much for being with us today on The Source. And thank you for having me and the opportunity to talk about all the, the great things that we could do for with our partner hospitals, our clients, and, and uh, talking about SOC Telemed in general.